we are in the, um, coming near to the end of our series. Uh, we still have a few more weeks to go, but we're in our series entitled Invisible War. And for the past several weeks, we've been talking about how, as Christians, uh, we are in an invisible war, a battle of the heavenlies. And we learned and we've seen in the video each week that we have three enemies, the world, that is the social evil that is around us, the flesh, the evil that indwells us, and uh, the powers of darkness, Satan and his demons, the demonic cohort that are behind and empowering all these different evil things that we see going on in our world in war against God. But we also have three allies. And to combat the world, we have the church to come alongside us, to help us. To, we are one body. Um, we are united together in Christ, where there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. I love the church for that, that we can come together from all of our different backgrounds and unite together to help one another combat the things of this world. And to combat the evil flesh that we have in dwelling us, God has given us his spirit And he puts his spirit within us the moment that we receive Jesus Christ to help empower us to be like Jesus. In other words, conforming us into many or little Jesuses. That's what he's trying to do. And he's, he's bringing that, uh, his son about within us. And then to combat the, the heavenly realm, we have the angels that are battling on our behalf. And we've been talking about all of these enemies and allies. And we, we, when we ever think about battle, we also have to think about how are we going to be equipped to fight in this battle. Yes, we have allies, but what am I wearing? What am I battling? What is my job in this battle? And the Bible talks about the armor of God. And if you've been in any church for any period of time, you've heard about the armor of God. And we've talked about these weapons that we're, uh, and, and provision, this clothing, what we're to put on. And I think today that many of us don't have a clue about the armor of God. We like to talk about it, but we really don't have any clue about it. I mean, it's kind of like an ancient relic, something that was from far away that our spiritual forefathers battled with. And it reminds me of this, uh, so a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity, we had some friends, old friends in town that kind of came up to, to spend about a week with us, and they, they're uh, from central Illinois, and they came up to check out what's in Chicagoland. And so they, they came up here, and one of the things we decided to do together, we both have families of four, so you had eight kids, we're like, we're going to go broke if we have to pay for everything, so let's go to some place where it's relatively cheap. And someone su- suggested Cantini Park. Anybody been to Cantina before? I, you know, Cantina is a, I'd never been there before. And I mean, I heard about it, um, and I, I wanted to go there. And we, we, we go there, and it's beautiful, a huge parking lot, and we, we come in to see all those tanks. And these are these, these big army tanks. They're huge. And we're, we're, the kids are climbing on them, and I'm seeing these just massive tanks. And, and it made me think of a little bit about the spiritual battle that we're in, but I think that many of us are like those tanks. We've kind of been decommissioned. We're sitting there, these big, powerful weapons at our disposal, and they're just sitting there, and we're being played around on. And I think we play around with the idea of spiritual warfare, and with the Bible, and with God. We, we, we give enough to God to pacify Him, and we give enough to be comfortable in our life, but we really don't think about battling in the heavenlies. And I think God is telling us, you need to dust that off. You need to put it back in to you know, recommission it, And put this armor on because it is meant not to sit there and just look like a great decoration. It's meant to be used. God created you and caused you to be born again and he brought you into battle and he's given you this armor and you're to use it. Not just let it sit on the sideline. So it's time to dust that off, find out how we can put it on and arm ourselves because we are in a spiritual battle. There is no 
opportunity for us to be Switzerland. You can't be neutral. The Bible lays it out. You either are for God or you are against him. You can't have a foot in both places anymore that you can have one foot on the ground and one foot on an airplane as it's going up. It's impossible. We have to choose one or the other. And if we are either with him or we're against him, and I pray that we are with him. And if we are with him, then we need to understand and put this armor on and be battle ready for what God has for us. And that's what we're going to look at today. But before we go any further, let's pause and ask for God's blessing on our message time. Father, we come before you knowing that you are the God of truth, that you are the the God of love, but you're also the God of wrath. You are the holy God. You are the awesome God. And you are the loving God who has called us unto himself and showed your mercy upon us and enabled us to have the great gift of salvation because of Jesus, your son. And Lord, we know that we are in a battle and that Satan wars against us and we have to put to death the misdeeds of our flesh and we have to guide and protect ourselves from the, the, the love of the world. And Lord, as we're in this battle, we know that you have not left us naked, but you have clothed us and given us opportunity to be protected, to battle victoriously. Lord, help us to understand how to put this armor on, to be battle ready and to live victoriously for your glory and our joy. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's really jump right into our text. We're going to start off in verse 13. So everybody should be in your Bibles. If you don't have one, look off someone else. We are Village Bible Church. It's in our middle name. We go to the Word of God because it's the Word of God that God speaks life to our hearts. Now, Paul begins his thought. He is the author by the Holy Spirit, writing to the church at Ephesus, as we've learned about, which was in uh, now modern-day Turkey. And it's a circular letter, a letter that was designed to be passed to the different churches and read among them. And Paul is well-acquainted. I mean, he is well-traveled. And he, he starts talking about this armor. Now, if anybody knew armor, it was Paul, because Paul is basically chained and connected to Roman soldiers. So he doesn't have a lot of opportunity all the time to be looking at a lot of different people. He's seeing them day in and day out. And he is telling the church, he's saying, you are in a battle. You need to understand this. And he says, therefore, he starts this off in verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Now, he starts this off in the way that it's, it's worded in Greek. It's something that you are to do, not something done to you. You are to actively do. You are to put your armor on. And it's in the aorist tense. The idea here and the way it's communicating is that not only it's not just a, a one-time thing, it's the understanding that you are to, to put it on to be ready for battle. I mean, it's a command. It's an imperative. Um, you have to do it. It can't be done to you. But it's a summary statement. That's in the aorist tense. You're to put all of this armor on, not just the helmet, not just grab the sword, but you're to put it all on. He says, therefore, it's a command. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, after everything else you've gone through, be ready to stand firm. Now, as he's talking about everything, it's interesting. We have to go back and understand what he's talking about. In other words, he's getting ready to conclude this whole book. We have six chapters, and he is concluding it. He's into that final chapter, and he had just talked about what it means to battle. Uh, I mean, now he's talking about the armor of God, but before he was giving instructions about living in the everyday life, how we are to battle, and he does that by talking about how husbands are to love their wives, how lives are to, to treat their husbands, how you interact with children, and how to treat your bosses. Because he's, giving, he's saying that after you've done everything else, after you've lived your everyday life, This is what you are to do. 
And I want you to be ready for that. Because see, the, the Christian life is not just, just the Christian life like on Sundays. It's played out in everyday life, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our every day-to-day relationships. This is where our faith is really seen. And Paul knows that. And he's saying, he's bringing it really home, home now. And he's saying, therefore, take up the full armor of God. It's a command. And why he's saying that, in essence, what he is saying is, you need to get battle ready. You need to prepare yourself for the battle. That's the first point I want you to write down. You have to prepare yourself for the battle. It's not your parents' job. It's not your spouse's job. We're to help equip you, but you got to learn how to use it yourself. We can't be like little children and, and go, I need help, please. Can you dress me? I mean, my, my children, uh, my son is five years old. He's getting ready to go off to kindergarten, and uh, he's, he's dressing himself pretty well. But there's some times today he's saying, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? And I'm like, what do you want to do? I want to spike my hair to go to the ceiling. <laughs> so he wants to do He wants to get himself dressed up, and he wants help for that. Here's God saying, no, no, no. You've got to prepare yourself for the battle at hand. You have to fight for it. It's not going to be given to you. The armor's there, but you have to do it. It's an active, meaning that you are the one that has to prepare yourself. Now, for ordering us to, for us in order to do that, we have to be ready. Ready. We've got to be ready for this battle. And we, some of us don't think we're in a battle. Quite honestly, we don't think we're in a battle because we're pretty comfortable. I want to share a quote with you by uh, Paul Nyquist, who's actually the president of Moody Bible Institute. And he's been talking in his book, Prepare, Living Your Faith in an Increasingly Hostile Culture, noted this battle and how it has become foreign to many modern Americans. Now, I know that some of you come from other countries where you have seen war. But for many of us here in the U.S., we have not seen it firsthand. And he says, for nearly 250 years, Christians in America were able to live in relative freedom from persecution. It was, it was part and parcel of the culture. It's not necessarily, did you go to church, but maybe which church did you go to 50 years ago? That's how it was, but it's changed. We're a pluralistic culture. We have many different faiths. We have many different groups that have come in, different religions that are going on now. And, and with all of the secular nature of our culture, it's shifted greatly. And we have people that are growing up, and the older people might have a harder time with this. We have younger people that have grown up never, ever, ever have set foot in a church before. It's completely foreign to them. So he's saying, 250 years, Christians in America were able to live in relative freedom from persecution. We escaped because our society historically embraced and promoted biblical values. Our founding fathers penned a constitution, esteeming religious freedom and establishing that rights come from God, not the government. He goes on, Foreign leaders have recognized America's uniqueness ever since the early years of our nation. This is very true. I have talked, when I was in India, I was talking to a professor there. He said, you know, the difference between India and America is you had the Bible at the beginning. He says, you had that idea. It may not have been explicitly laid out, but the principles and the truths therein were definitely part and parcel of the Founding Fathers' mindsets as they established and put together the Constitution of the United States. He says, while this can be a blessing, the freedom we have enjoyed makes us an outlier, outlier among the nations. We're different. We are different than other countries. Believers in much of the world regularly encounter persecution, prosecution, and even execution. We think, well, that's other countries. Do you think persecution, if you haven't noticed, is, is at our door? 
It has changed in our culture. I mean, we're not, we're not being dragged off to jail yet, but it's definitely going on. Where we are considered, we are considered outsider, outsiders. We are considered bigots if we hold forth and speak out against what's going on in the culture. Intolerant, judgmental. But we have to make sure that even though these labels are coming at us fast and furious, and our temptation is to compromise and capitulate to the greater culture because we want acceptance, that we have to stand for the truth of Christ no matter what in love. In love. Not spewing vitriolic hatred, but lovingly pleading for them to be reconciled to Christ. So, The World Evangelical Fellowship estimates 200 million Christians live under a daily threat of imprisonment or torture. 200 million. Twice as many reside where laws discriminate against them. Persecution is the global norm. Americans are the anomaly. Which means that we're we're the weird ones. And in comparison to the world, we have been. But you know what? That's changing. And it's changing day to day to day. And it seems like that car has gotten up the hill and it's been slow going up and now it's at top and it's racing down. We need to be aware of that and be under, understand that we are, need, we are in a spiritual battle. And Nyquist goes on, but we're witnessing an epic change in our culture, a spiritual climate shift threatening to reshape life as we know it. Hostility and intolerance are replacing toleration. Rejection and even hatred are pushing aside acceptance. How true prophetic words. And he even says at the end of the book, I hope I'm wrong. I hope there's a revival in our country where people turn to him. And I do think there is a revival happening. And not in always ways that we think, not ways that are being covered by the culture. But I'll tell you right now, and if you haven't looked around, God has been bringing the nations here. And they are hungry for the word of God and want to be transformed. And they're helping transform and sharpen us too. And I thank my African brothers and sisters, my Murbiz brothers and sisters, my Nepali brothers and sisters. I thank God for you. God bless you. Seriously. Because I, I see God bringing and using you to help revive us. And you change us, you teach us, you encourage us, you empower us. Because many of you have gone through hardships that we have not experienced. And we look to you for an example. So help us. And we'll help you in whatever ways we can. Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're in this battle together. And I thank God that he has brought you here. I thank God for that. But we need to understand that we need to prepare for battle. Now Paul begins, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil and having uh, evil day and having done it all to stand. And I'll look at verse 14. Stand, therefore. Notice that word, that stand. The word stand repeats itself. We're going to come back to that um, uh, later. But pay attention to that. When you see words repeated in Scripture in any passage, there's a reason why. And we need to understand that when we're interpreting the Word of God. Often, repeated terms means that there's a theme that the author is trying to get us to see and understand. He's trying to convey a point and draw our attention to it. So he's repeating that word stand or withstand. And then he says, take up the belt of truth. Now, the idea of the belt was to put everything in place. It's like with me. I'm I'm, I'm actually losing some weight, surprisingly. Um, I, I know you guys are laughing. Why is that funny? Why is that funny? Um, although I, I had a little girl at my house a while back, and she put her hand in my belly, and she goes, is there a baby in there? How old are you? Four. You want to see five? 
That's what it felt like. But I, my pants are a little bit big. My wife was telling me that this morning. And so uh, she goes, you got to belt it up because I don't want my pants to fall down. So we have to cinch it up. i got to be ready for action, ready to go. And in the ancient world, it was like that as well. I mean, it, they had their, their tunics, and they got ready to be battled. You don't want that tunic floating around and catching on different things. It's like the Incredibles. Remember? No capes. Remember? No capes. So you got to wrap it in, tie it up, be ready to go. And that's the idea, is you need to be ready. That's it. That's what he's telling us right there. It requires us to be ready. It is the belt of truth. And the idea of truth is, is not just God's truth, but truth generally. Now, both are in mind because all truth is God's truth. We have to remember that. All truth is God's truth, but the supreme revelation of truth is the word of God unto us. It is the fullest expression of truth because it's created by Christ Jesus himself, who is truth, as he said in John 14, 6. I am the way. What's the second one? Truth, last one, life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then we have John 8, 32, which we've seen in movies, heard quoted. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, that's referring to Jesus. It's the truth of who he is, living at truth. As Christians, we don't live by lies, and we live by the truth of Christ, and all truth is God's truth. So we need to relinquish and, and Uh, get rid of those lies, remove them from our life. So we have to live by truth. We need to be, he's saying that you need to be ready based on truth. But the problem is, is many of us aren't living by truth. We're actually what I call functional atheists. We've chosen to believe a lie. It's like Cypher in the Matrix, if you remember that movie, that he decides to betray Neo and everybody else, and he's hitting the stake, and he says, "It, it, it doesn't exist. But he chooses to believe that lie. Because at stake, remember, he's in the matrix. It's really just all computer generated. And he feels the taste buds and things go on. But he goes, he'd rather believe the lie than believe the truth. And I think that's how many people are today. They'd rather live by lies than the truth of who God is. See, we've all become functional atheists. You know, I was reading a quote this past week by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian thinker. Uh, who spoke out against communist Russia, got himself into trouble, ended up spending a lot of time in a gulag. Uh, but he, he talked about truth. And he says, you know, one word of truth, one word of truth outweighs the whole world. Because he talked about how all of the communism and the atheism, which was the state religion of Russia at the time, was just built on complete lies. He actually said this, and I, I don't have this quote up there for you, but he, he says, over half a century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of old people offer the following explanations for the great disasters that had befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Since then, I have spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution. And in the process, I've read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and have already contributed eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. But... If I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I could not, it, could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. It's true. Men want to actually be their own God, their own functional God. But see, we, we have forgotten God. We become, even as Christians, we have to face, come face-to-face with ourselves and say we've actually become functional atheists, that we give testimony to Jesus, but we go out and our daily lives show no effect of God upon it. 
we have forgotten collectively God, or at least marginalized and pushed him into the periphery of our lives. But he needs to be front and center. If he's not front and center and the center of our life, then he has none of our life. That's how great he is. That's what he demands. We have to hold on to him. We need to be ready for this battle. After that belt of truth, we have the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was the one piece of armor that covered the vital organs from front to back. Scholars debate whether it's the righteousness that comes from God via justification, the moment that you were declared righteous in the sight of God, your positional righteousness, or a progressive righteousness that comes from a righteous life. I think both are in mind because we can't have righteousness unless we are justified, declared legally righteous in the sight of God. But yet we are to live righteously and be holy as God is holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See, God's, no, you have to be holy. It's not optional. Like, I like that, that salad, but put the dressing on the side. I'd like the Christian life with holiness on the side. That's not how it is. We have to have all of it. We need to be ready, but God is also saying that you also need to be real, which means that you need to live a righteous life. Don't pretend. God does not does not like fakers. You can't fake and pretend with God. You can't put on a mask and pretend you're great on Sunday and go throughout the week. God knows. God knows. God knows your heart. He knows every aspect of it. He knows everything that you do, everything that you think. And he's saying here, put on that breastplate of righteousness. In other words, be real in the walk that you have and live a righteous and holy life. As the great evangelist D.L. Moody said, I want to show you this quote, a holy life will produce the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns, they only shine. In other words, what he's saying there is when you live a righteous life, you're going to testify to the world how great God is and Satan can't get a foothold on you. We have to live a righteous life if we're going to be victorious. It can't stick to us. You know, Teflon, remember that? Nothing sticks to Teflon. We have to be, when we are living a holy life, we become spiritually Teflon. No accusations of the devil can stick to us. And the only reason that we have that Teflon is because of what Jesus did. He already paid the price for our sins. So we have to be real in our walk. We have to be ready and real. But let's go back to our text. After the breastplate of righteousness are the shoes that come with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, the shoes were a bit like sandals. Uh, they were thick leather, and thick leather pieces, and they had straps that are attached to them, and they went up around the foot and even the ankle. But on them were big spikes. So it's kind of like elongated track spikes. I don't know if you've ever seen those. So like sandals meeting track spikes. Or even like a, a glorified, very deep hiking boot, if you will. And the idea there was that you would plant your feet in the ground so that when the onslaught would come, you have traction. I don't know if you've ever been in any sports or, or if you've tried to run on a grassy area and trying to get your feet or slick. Here, what he's saying is you can't slip, that you have to be, be made sure you have a, 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 a foothold. That's what the gospel of peace is. Now, that gospel of peace, it's the understanding of being peace, having peace with God and peace with men. And the readiness that comes with it. The idea also there is a, a firmness that is being created and scholars have some debate on exactly what is meaning there, but the idea of readiness refers to the condition of a person or thing 
so far forth as prepared, preparedness, readiness. It can also refer to having a firmness or foundation. Josephus, the Jewish historian, used that same word to refer to a readiness of mind. It is, but it's a settledness that comes. So you're ready because you are settled. It's like, uh, have you ever had a last minute thing that you had, had to get done and you know that the deadline is coming and you're not prepared for it and when it comes you're really anxious? You ever had that ever happen before? Right, I've, I, you, I, you will all have. The idea, though, is that you had it done beforehand, and then when it comes, you're prepared. You're prepared. So the idea is, is once you have that understanding of who Jesus is, there's a peace and a readiness and a settledness that comes that when the devil comes, you have a sure foothold. You have a rest in him. We need to make sure of that. And it means that we are not just settled, but we are resolved. That feet shod with the gospel of peace, we are resolved We are rested. We are ready for that onslaught because we have made peace with God, resolved in our relationship with Him, that He is the Christ. We are His children. We are sure, but not arrogantly so. We are aware of our own limitations, our own sins, our own struggles. We are sure that while we may be sinners who fail and fall, that He is the Savior who never fails or falls. So after the feet being shot to the gospel of peace, we move into the fourth piece of armor. That is the shield of faith. It's not a small shield, but it was actually two and a half feet wide, about uh, four feet tall. It was uh, wood that was really coated in leather. Uh, Sometimes it was dipped in water and that it would uh, be able to extinguish the arrows that would have would pitch on them and they have fire and it would be able to extinguish them if they were to hit it. But it also had spikes on the end of it that it could be thrown down in the middle of battle to maintain one's position. And he's saying here that we have this this ability, this faith in God's faithfulness that everything that we go through, the arrows of temptation, doubt, guilt, shame, opposition, evil thoughts, that they can be stopped with the shield of faith knowing that God will not tempt us beyond our ability to beyond our ability to handle it, and he's faithful to give us a way out, and he was faithful to provide and be with us and make a way for us when there's no other way, that he will help us. And that, that shield of faith, when we, when we appropriate that in our minds, that God is faithful, then, then we can be able to resist evil. So that's what he's saying there. How this helps us then resist evil, that we can extinguish the arrows of the evil one. Because the evil one's going to come at you in every which way imaginable. He's going to come at you in any way that he can in order to direct or to remove your attention off of God. And remember, we talked about this last week. He won't let you get, make you have to have, uh, commit a, have an affair if internet pornography will do. He can do it in a subtle way or he can do it in an extreme way. What he wants to do is get to you. And I'm telling you right now that he's getting to, our, getting to us today through a lot of TV, the internet, and media. He's also in our schools. He's working even in churches. And we have to be able to guard against it. This is why we need to be praying for our kids and praying for one another. And we need to learn how to t- shut off the TV, log out of Netflix, get off of Instagram, close Facebook. Get off your laptop, put away your phone. You know why? Because we don't know how to be bored any longer. 
we are so busy, we get so restless so quickly that the first thing that we do is just go to our phone. We're standing in line, we just go to our phone. We can't, because we can't have a thought. Because we're so busy filling it with stuff, thinking we're missing things, and we notice that we have more anxiety, more fear. We don't have victory in Christ any longer. So you know what I did when I went on vacation? I, I got off. I removed it. And you know, it was hard at first. But you know something? I started to notice victory in my life in a greater way. I started turning off TV. I wasn't logging on to shows. And I noticed that things became much more clear through God's word. Turn it off. I'm not saying you can't enjoy things. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that sometimes you need to think about God the first thing in the morning before you lean over to pick up your cell phone and check Facebook. Think about God have a relationship with him. Spend that time letting him speak to you because the, the, the world is going to come at you all the time. We have to log off and log on with God and him and him alone. So we need to make sure that we are, we are resolved, we are resisting evil because taking up that shield of faith. And then we have to, after the shield, we have the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Now, this helmet was decorative and protective, and some scholars believe in this instance that it was actually ceremonial, that it was handed to them, and he just says, uh, take it. But they think it was, the reason they do that is because it was signifying a victory, that our victory is in Christ and it's done. But I don't think that conveys the idea of it completely because the idea is being an active battle. Active battle. And the idea here is that it's, it's a reference to God's salvation that is assured, and it's both present and future. We call this the already, not yet, meaning that you are saved and you are being saved. See, we often just talk about signing the dotted line, making a decision for Jesus, but it's a lot more than that. You have to draw it out. It's like taking your, seeing the picture on your phone and then pulling it in to zoom in on it. This, zooming in on salvation, you see there's different aspects of it. There's justification, the moment that you were declared righteous in the sight of God, but justification cannot be separated from sanctification where we are learning progressively to be more like Jesus, and that ends and results, the final part of our salvation, which will be actualized in eternity, is when we are in glorification. We will be with Jesus forever and ever. See, there are some that start off really great, going to church, Sunday school teacher, and they totally turn away from God, and yet they think they're all good. No. The Bible knows nothing of that. The Bible, and the Bible talks about those who are actively seeking. Matter of fact, one of the greatest warnings we have in Scripture is Demas. Demas, who was a man who traveled as a traveling companion with Paul, had been in ministry with Paul, had been encouraged with Paul, and then Paul writes these words that are just heartbreaking. He says, Demas, who was in love with this present world, deserted me. He deserted me. He left me. And Paul is basically saying that he really wasn't a believer to begin with. And it breaks my heart to see this played out. So we have to make sure that we are fighting on. We have to take up this helmet of salvation. And how do we do that? How do we take up this helmet of salvation? It's by mentally, mentally appropriating the truths of God that say that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, when Satan comes at you, when we go against the devil, we have to remind ourselves that we are God's children. And that means that we need to renew our minds. And how do we renew our minds? By taking in the word of God. It is a focused mental effort requires meditation of the word. Don't just read it and put it away. Focus, let it seep into you, that it becomes part of you. That's what we're to let the word of God do. Spend so much time in the word of God. I mean, Martin Luther once said that he kept reading the word until God spoke. 
to him. And see, we're so busy today that we're like, I don't have time to read. I don't have time to pray. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't have time to read and you don't have time to pray, you are busier than God intended you to be. Straight up. You are busier than God wants you to be. God wants to have that time with you. You have to fight for it. I understand the temptations. I understand the pressures. I understand the kids. I understand the work. I understand the calling and helping. But you have to fight for that time. And we fight for what we care for, what we believe and we need. Because if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, you're going to die if you don't exercise, I guarantee that your calendar would be rearranged. You would suddenly find time that you didn't know you had. And you become now a workout warrior. Well, where'd you get that time? Well, it became important. The fact of the matter is, we put God on the periphery rather than at the center. So he's saying here that we need to renew our minds. We have to put on that helmet of salvation, that I am saved, that I'm being saved, and I need to fight on. I need to hold on to that truth of who God is. And we need to preach to our souls. That's the sermon that you need, by the way. You don't mean yelling at you. Yell at yourself. You ever talk to yourself? Anybody ever done that? Okay. <laughs> Somebody's like, I'm doing that right now. Aren't I? There's nobody next to me. Okay. I, I remember, I, 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 as a kid, I remember my mom. I would get up in the morning for breakfast for school, and my mom would be talking to the dog. And I always wonder, why are you talking to the dog? She's like, I'm having a conversation. Mom. You need help. <laughs> and then the dog died. And she kept talking to the dog. <laughs> She's just talking to herself. In essence, she was processing things. And so I catch myself doing that. But I've also noticed that sometimes I've got to preach to myself. You know, the Bible does that. You know that? The psalmists do that. The psalmists preach to, themselves, uh, preach to themselves. You have it in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. I'll read it for you. I don't have to have you turn to it. But in Psalm 43, verse 5, the psalmist says to himself, Why are you down, cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation in God. Why are you cast down, soul? You need to preach to yourself, soul. Why are you having such a hard time? Why can't you wake up and spend time with the Lord? Why can't you pray, soul? I have to realize that I have God's salvation. I am a child of God. And that there's not a battle through him that I can't find victory Four, that we have to hold on, preach to ourselves, renewing our mind. Now let's go back to our text. See, the final part of our battle attire is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Look at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now here, it's saying that we need to rely on the Bible, the Word of God. Without the Bible, we have nothing. 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 Now, because it's God's word that has power. We have to rely on the word. You know that just because someone's in church doesn't mean that the Bible's being preached. I was talking to a man, uh, or, or I had a man who uh, had been at our Sugar Grove campus, and he had left 
uh, several years ago over a disagreement, something that had happened. He ended up going to a church in the area that was uh, a very liberal church. And, uh, but as the church started becoming more and more corrupt and going away, they weren't preaching the Word of God anymore. They started embracing alternative lifestyles and all these things that were going on in the world. He said, I can't do this anymore. He actually went back to the church, and he hadn't been there in 10 years, sat in the seat, and started to cry. Because he said, I haven't heard the Bible preached for 10 years. And he'd been in church every week. But the word of God hadn't been preached. Without the word of God, we have absolutely nothing. We have to make sure that we are not just reading the word, we're relying on the word and letting the word read and change us from the inside out. See, that's the difference between Christianity and other religions. Other religions demand outward conformity. Christianity offers inward uh, transformation. It does. It transforms us from the inside out. And he's saying there that we have to rely on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, this sword is a Machaira sword. It was actually a smaller sword, and it was used, it meant like a close-up encounter. That meant, because you're not swinging this thing around, this is real close battle that's happening. And it's defensive, but it has an offensive thrust to it. And it's saying then, when we get into those difficult moments, up close in our everyday lives, in our workplace, with our colleagues, in a promotion, or a demotion, or an accusation, or something going on in your marriage, or with your children, some event, it's up close and personal. The Bible needs to be there in your everyday, work-a-day life. God's saying it needs to be there. It's not the pie in the sky recited on Sunday school. It is there where you live all the time. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible presents characters, warts and all. It doesn't try to hide it. it. doesn't try to excuse it. It presents them in the midst of everyday life. I'm so excited about this series that we're starting this fall called Shattered. And it's about 1 Samuel. And if you ever read 1 Samuel... It's a messed up book in that these are messy people making messy decisions through messy life, but God's God's purpose comes through it all. In the mess of our broken, shattered lives, God is still working in you. The choices you've made, the horrible decisions, the sins that you've done, God's will and purpose can still be accomplished through you when you repent and turn back to him. Because our God is a God of hope. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of U-turns. He's the God that likes taking the broken pieces of our life and making it new. We need to rely on his word. They're not words of condemnation, but inspiration and transformation. Now, topping everything off in verse 18, and I'm going to walk through this quickly because I actually want to touch on this next week. We're going to come back to this text. But topping off everything else is prayer. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, praying for those who are believers in Christ. And also for me, Paul's saying, pray for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. What he's saying there is pray for spiritual breakthroughs. Pray for breakthroughs. Are we praying for breakthroughs? Are we praying? Period. And I'm not just talking about drive-through prayers. You know, get it, throw it up. Hey, God. I mean, there's times for that. Don't get me wrong. Nehemiah's doing that right before he walks into the presence of the king. Lord, I need your help right now. But there are times we need to have sustained time in the presence of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. I'm going to walk through these really quickly, and I really want to expand on these next week. But if we're to pray for spiritual breakthroughs, then it requires us to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to talk about the Holy Spirit. He's not just for our charismatic friends. 
The Holy Spirit is for all of us. Sometimes we think of high church, they have the Father. Baptist Bible church people have the Son, and the Charismatics get the Holy Spirit. That's what we think. But the fact of the matter is God is triune, and we have all three. Father, Son, and Spirit. He exists eternally in three persons, making one God in a mystery that is above any of our ability to understand that every human illustration falls short of. But God has given us His Spirit. After the Son ascended into heaven, the Spirit was sent forth to help equip and, do, and work uh, the work of God within us that we might do the ministry that He has for us. And remember, if you can do, if you're doing, <laughs> trying to do God's purpose without God's Spirit, you're going to fail. And if you're doing a task that you can do without the Spirit of God, then it's not God's task for you. If you can do God's task without God's Spirit, that is not God's call. Because God calls and wants you to, to fill you with His Spirit to do His work. We need to be filled with the Spirit. How do we get filled with the Spirit? It is not, it is, it is, it is not in all these supernatural ways all the time. Sometimes it's just through reading the Word of God, living a holy life, doing spiritual disciplines, confessing our sins, being silent, meditating on the truths of God. These are how we are filled with the Spirit of God. Not that I have to have someone come up and lay a hand on you to fill you with the Spirit in that moment in time. It is done through God working the Word of God in your life. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Now look at verse 18. Go through these quickly. To that end, keep alert. The idea is we're being focused. When we pray, we've got to be focused. And I know that you, your mind wanders when you pray. You start thinking about everything else, thinking about the game, the score, what's in the oven, did I get this done, has the laundry been changed? You think about all those things. And there are times where we have to get through that, but then we have to come back and we have to focus. And I find the best way to focus is by quoting and reciting Scripture. My prayers are more focused when I start praying back to God the truths of who He is. You know what I've been praying for? I've been praying for a few things in our body. I've been praying that He would make us diverse, because I think that's God's heartbeat, that we are many made one. That's being worked out, because it used to, the, the saying that used to happen in the United States of America, that the most segregated hour was 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And I don't believe that's to be of God. That racism is of the evil one, and that we are one in Christ Jesus, that God would make us one. I'm also praying, and I'm still praying this, that God would send workers into his harvest field, because God is bringing people, and I have a feeling that he's going to be bringing many more. And I, don't say, I, I say that because it's a sober reality, and it's one that's exciting, but it's one that requires a lot of work. And that can't happen without God working and God moving. And that means praying, and we all need to be praying. We need to be praying for the work that is going on. We need to be fighting, and we need to be uh, focused. We also need to be fierce, fierce. He says, with all perseverance, it means steadfastness, steadfastness, not giving up or giving in. And I like to think that is praying fierce. Praying fierce. They once said that Martin Luther uh, would confess his sins in prayer, and people said they pitied him when they'd hear him confessing his sins. But then he would become so bold that people feared for him, because he was coming to the throne of God by the mighty name of Jesus Christ, making bold requests of God, and God answered many of those requests. We have to pray fierce. We have to pray God prayers where we're holding fast to him. I'm not talking about praying for cars or, or houses or money. I'm not talking about that. I'm praying is God-soaked and God-directed from the word of God prayers. 
of things that God delights in doing. You know what God delights in doing? Having us worship him in spirit and in truth. He delights in people coming to the saving knowledge of who he is. He delights in us caring about the harvest field and taking care of the widow, the orphan, the, the, the foreigner, those who are sick. That's what God delights in. And if you pray for that, just like my brother did, God will give you those opportunities. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. The problem is, as many of us don't want those opportunities, we're, so, we're fine with just getting spiritually fat by hearing the word. You need to get in spiritual shape. You've got to burn what you learn. That means taking in the word of God and doing what God wants us to do. So we need to be fierce. We also need to be fighting for others in prayer. Fighting for others in prayer. That's what he says. Praying for, uh, praying for the saints. We need to be praying for other people. Lifting them up in prayer. You know, nothing is better than praying and getting our eyes off ourselves when we're praying for other people. And we need to make sure that we are praying for other people. Look at verse 19 for a moment. Paul says, Prayer also for me that words may be given me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains and I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We need to pray and make, uh, make sure that we are praying and make sure that God's uh, to proclaim the truth of God boldly. Proclaim the truth of God boldly. In order to do that, we need prayer support. Let me ask you a question. Are you praying for me when I'm, when I'm studying or I'm preaching? I need that. I'll tell you something. When I, was, when I was preaching in India, and I'm going back, Lord willing, November, I never experienced the presence of God as I did when I ascended to that pulpit. And I looked back, and I was looking at Facebook, and I saw that many of you were praying for me. And the only reason that I could pe- have, and I felt it, because people were praying for me. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great British preacher, who by the age of 19 was pastoring, I don't know how many thousand member church, it had grown from 80 to over 1,000 like a year. This is an amazing man of God. His sermons were being published all over the world during his lifetime. This is the 19th century. Started over 2,000 ministries in his lifetime. I mean, you're talking about one amazing God-soaked man being used. And they asked him, what is the secret to his success? And he said this, my people pray for me. That's it. My people pray for me. You need to pray for the word of God to go forth. For me or whoever is sitting up here preaching or our elders, our teachers, we need to pray for them because it is a spiritual endeavor, a spiritual task that only happens, only life only comes when the word of God is truly preached. It's like the book of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones and God appears to Ezekiel and says, Son of man, can these bones live? And he says, Surely, O God, you know. And he says, Prophesy. It means preach, brother. Preach it. And he preaches. What happens? The bones start rattling. And then flesh comes on him. And then muscle. Because that's what happens when God's word is preached is life is given. We need to pray that because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we need to make sure that we have enough prayer support. Now understand this. Doing all this might lead to pain. Paul says, I am an ambassador in these chains. He's in prison. He's living this life. Don't don't believe the lies of the enemy that says God doesn't want you to suffer. Through, because that's contradicting Scripture. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, as the book of Acts says. And it's gonna ha- you're going to have hardship. You're going to have opposition. But God will be with you through it. Remember, just like in the book of Daniel, when they threw the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar looked up and he said, there's four. I threw three in. There's four. There's one like the Son of the gods walking around. So remember this. When you go through the fire, God goes through it with you. God goes through it with you. We need prayer support. It might lead to pain, but it will ultimately result in praise to God. Praise to God. Because people will look at you and they'll go, why would they go through something like that? 
what would make them do that? And they'd say, you'd say, testify about Jesus, and that will cause them to esteem the name of Christ. Now, I have two small quick points, and the first is this. We need to participate in the body. I told you about the shield earlier. Those shields weren't meant to be used in isolation, but they were meant to be locked in arms with other shields, which means we need to participate in the body. You're going to see this little sheet right here. It's in your bulletin. I brought it up here. It says, five reasons the worship service participation is more important than you realized. Being here on Sunday morning is one of the most important things that you do all week long. Let me tell you, it's more important than sports. It's more important than recitals. It's more important than a lot of things. Because this is the time the corporate body gets together. And you need to, I, want, I encourage you, and I challenge you to read this. Because we need you here. We need to be together to hear the word of God and preach, to encourage one another, to be encouraged by the word of God, to have life breathed into us that we might live the victorious Christian life that God wants us to live, that we might forsake sin and live for him. And the first thing that goes is you don't see him at church. And then they don't read the Bible. And you want to know why they drift into sins like they do. You need to be a part of the body. As messy and as messed up as it is, you need to be a part of it. See, people say, well, there's a lot of hypocrites. There's a lot of difficult people there. Yes, there are. But it's like being in a hospital. We're all trying to get to the great physician. Just don't worry about all the other patients and their diagnosis. We're all trying to get to the doctor who does the healing. Okay? We're a spiritual triage center. We need to remember that. So we need to participate in the body. Now, I want us to look at the last thing. And I mentioned this to you at the very beginning. Look at verses 13 and 14. You see the word stand. It's mentioned twice in verse 13 and once in verse 14. And the idea is to stand your ground. After everything else, you need to stand. It's not marching ahead. It's standing. And I'm convinced that the longer that I persevere in this walk with Jesus Christ, that it's persevering and standing not marching on, not do, building buildings, not having radio broadcasts and TV things and none of that. It's standing and being faithful to the end. Because believe me, if you're going to walk with Jesus, opposition will come. You don't need to seek it. So we need to make sure that we are standing with Jesus and make sure that we persevere and don't break. Ben, not break. Ben, not break. We need to persevere on. We need to hold on because we are victorious through Jesus' death on the cross. We are victorious in his resurrection from the dead until Jesus takes us home. The victory is ours, and it's already been won. We need to hold on. Don't give in. Don't give in. Be encouraged. The victory's already been won at Calvary. God has given us this victory. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can defeat us because as the scripture says in the song we sang, we are more than conquerors conquerors through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the encouraging thought. Battle on. Battle on, brothers and sisters. We need to battle on together. Encourage one another. Be that body that God wants us to be. Speak the truth of God into one another's lives. Be the body. Invite people into your home. Get to know someone that's different from you because awkward is awkward is awesome. That's right. So I want to encourage you with those thoughts. Make sure that you uh, continue to sign up for the pictures that we have going on. Ladies, you have your eliminated laughter and all that other lady-encouraged stuff that you do with one another, which is great. Uh, we need to have that for the guys, you know, like, I don't know, brothers and barbecues, something like that. We need to do something like that. So, but let's be that body that God wants us to be, persevering and walking with the King. Please stand as we close our service with our benediction. Feel free to stay along and fellowship with one another. Encourage one another today. Introduce yourself to someone new. Invite them over to your home. And let's be the body that God wants us to be.
Father in heaven, we thank you and we bless your name and we thank you how you have given us equipment and provision for the battle. May we learn to live in that armor and that truth that you've given unto us that we might live victorious Christian lives both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace and be blessed.